Hello and welcome back to Neely's Bend Baptist Church's Sermon Archive. In today's sermon, Pastor Austin begins a series through the book of 1 Timothy about looking at biblical characteristics of a healthy church. We hope you enjoy this series through 1 Timothy, and if you have any questions, please reach out to mbbc at neelysbendbaptist.org. Before we jump in today, let's go to the Lord in prayer. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we praise you so, so much, Lord. We just thank you so, so much for being who you are, being a God who is our Savior, who sent Jesus to die for us on a cross, Lord. Lord, we pray today that as we're here, that as we open up your word and we look through your scripture, that you will just open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds, open our, open our ears to be able to see, hear, know, and just be receptive of your word this morning, Lord. So we can better glorify you, better worship you, better honor you, better give you praise, Lord. Lord, I pray that today as I proclaim your word, Lord, that that is all I do. I just proclaim your word and your word alone, Lord, and that you just speak through me with simplicity, with clarity, and with passion, Lord. Lord, we just pray that, that we always look to you to be our cornerstone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is a healthy church? What is a healthy church? What are some characteristics of a healthy church? How should a healthy church conduct itself? I want you to think about these questions for just a few minutes. What is a healthy church? What are some characteristics of a healthy church. Just think about it. Think about it. Maybe you're thinking about this question and you're semi-struggling to think about what are healthy characteristics of a church. Maybe another possibility is that you were thinking of other churches in the area that you perceive to be a healthy church and you think about the things that they're doing to be a healthy church. Or maybe you actually have some ideas of what you think is a healthy church. And you're thinking about that. And you're thinking about that. And you've got these ideas of what is a healthy church. And all of these options, I just want to say, are okay for you to think right now. It's okay for you to think about that. It's okay to look at other churches and go, ooh, they do these things. And I think that this is a healthy characteristic. Or, oh, we've done this in the past here at our church. And this is a healthy characteristic. Or maybe... You have healthy characteristics of your own mind that you see from the Bible. That's okay. But my point for asking these questions, my point for you thinking about this, is I want you to see that there are marks of a healthy church. That there are biblical characteristics of a healthy church. And I want to be clear about something here. A church's size don't mean it is always a healthy or unhealthy church. Size does not matter when it comes to health of a church. That shouldn't be the standard for whether a church is healthy or not. Just because a church has a lot of members or a lot of attendees, it doesn't always mean it's a healthy church. There are many churches that have hundreds of members. And let me tell you, they are not healthy churches. But there are also churches that have hundreds of members who are healthy churches. There are healthy churches that have hundreds of members. And in the opposite, there are very small churches 
that are unhealthy churches. And there's also very small churches that are healthy churches. So size doesn't determine the health of a church. To kind of give you an idea of the average size congregation, the average size church in the Southern Baptist Convention, the number is 67 people. 67 people is the average size of a normal church in the Southern Baptist Convention. So size can't determine the health of the church. The Bible determines the health of a church. God's Word and the way that Jesus sees the church is what determines the health of a church. Biblical characteristics determine the health of a church, not the size or the number of people in attendance. However, this does not mean that we just want to be a complacent church, a church that's just plateaued and never wants to grow. Because we do want to be a church that does grow, but we need to be a church that grows because we are a church that is biblically healthy. Church growth should happen out of church health. Church growth should be an overflow of a healthy church. Now there are two ways that I see church growth happening. Two ways that I see this happening. And when I think about this, they're, they're very similar to how people work out, lift weights, get stronger, get faster, get in shape, how they exercise, and how they keep their body healthy. When I was in high school, I participated in two different sports. I played basketball, I played baseball, and we would regularly work out, daily work out. We had to because we wanted to be stronger, we wanted to be faster, we wanted to be quicker, we wanted to have more stamina so we could play longer than the other team. But the point of doing this was so we could be in shape, be healthy. Many people today, even outside of sports and outside of athletic competitions, work out and run to stay healthy or to stay in shape, to be a healthy person. And when we think of a healthy person, we also think of healthy characteristics. Would you not agree? But a person who works out can only become a healthy person if they work out or do healthy things. For example, they must diet well. They must exercise appropriately with correct form. They must not overdo what they are doing. Has anybody ever done that before? You go to work out and then you overdo it and you're like, oh man, you're hurting for like two weeks straight and you don't feel like working out anymore. It's happened to me. They must hydrate well. They must stretch well. Has anybody not stretched before you work out? I've done that too. My wife is... She's always getting on to me after I work out. Did you stretch? Did you stretch? Did you stretch? You're going to be hurting tomorrow. Did you stretch? But these are healthy things of a person that works out. These are healthy characteristics of them. But healthy practices result in a healthy body. And when works out in diets like this in a very healthy way, they will be healthy people. But now, let's imagine this guy who all he wants to do is get stronger, bigger, faster and he just all he wants to do is he just wants to get strong super big and he found a secret he has found a secret the secret to getting super big getting really strong and really fast really fast he found steroids found steroids and every day he works out he takes the steroids he gets strong 
He gets really big. He gets really fast. But he doesn't realize, what he doesn't realize is that these steroids are internally killing him. Because that's what steroids do to one's body. They slowly kill them. Steroids, at least performance-enhancing steroids, can cause severe, long-lasting, irreversible damage, such as early heart attacks, strokes, liver disease, tumors, kidney failure, and many other issues. This unhealthy workout strategy may have led to growth, but it certainly was not sustainable because it led to death. And many churches are just like this person that is on steroids. Those churches are all about how can we grow fast? How can we grow really big? How can we grow really strong fast? And a couple of strategies they use is a business factor strategy where they try to treat the church as if it's a business or they treat the church as an entertainment factor of how can we entertain people. And if we treat church, if we treat church like a business and operate it like a business, then we will grow, or while we may grow, and while that may happen, it's not the biblical way. It's not the biblical way to do that. Or they can, they can provide the best entertainment possible. If we give the best entertainment to the people around here, if we put on the best performance, then we will grow. Similar to like college football or an athletic event, if we can put on the best performance or a concert, for example. We, many, some of you probably heard of Taylor Swift and her Eras concert right now. It's a really big performance. And it's all about her and how she can bring people to follow her. It's a performance. It's about the people being there. But churches sometimes want to provide the loudest music, provide the greatest light show in the world, so much that their church becomes a concert. The preacher preaches what sounds great, makes everybody happy. Oh, I feel happy today. I want to preach this today. The kids all play games and do fun activities instead of being taught God's Word. They make church a consumer-based thing. They view the people as consumers of what can we give them? What can they get out of just being here in this concert uh, or this entertainment atmosphere. They view people as consumers instead of people as children of God, as members of their church. Church, we cannot be a performance-driven church. We cannot be a business-driven church. We must be a biblically-driven church. A church that is led by God's Word. A church that is driven by the Gospel of Jesus Christ, a church that desires church health over church growth. And I want this church to grow. And I believe that all of you want this church to grow. But this church must only grow by being a biblically healthy church. So now I ask you, what are some biblical characteristics of a healthy church? In an article from the International Mission Board, they give the list of 12 different characteristics and while this isn't all the characteristics that could conclude and could be for the form of a biblically healthy church, because there are certainly more, these are just a step in the right direction to get us thinking about what is a healthy church. Here they are. Biblical evangelism. 
biblical discipleship, biblical membership, biblical leadership, biblical teaching and preaching, biblical ordinances, biblical worship, biblical prayer, biblical fellowship, biblical, biblical accountability and discipline, biblical giving, and lastly, biblical mission. As you can see, every one of these characteristics are from the Bible. They're all from God's Word. And if we could do these 12 things, then we will be moving toward becoming a healthy church. Being a healthy church. And now I want to ask you this question. Just based off of these 12 characteristics, do you consider Neely's Bend's Baptist Church to be a healthy church? A biblically healthy church? church. Would our church have made a commitment to revitalization if we were a biblically healthy church? I would say that we are a church that is not completely unhealthy because we're not dead yet, right? Would you all agree with that? We can all shake our head, yes. We're not dead yet. Because there are some things about us that are healthy, but there's a lot of things, or a few things, quite a few things, but overall, we are not a healthy church. Or else this church would not have made that commitment to revitalization. And I want to say this. This is not me hacking away at this church, okay? Because I am a part of this church. I am, I am a part of this church. This is my church now. Just as this, this is your church so please don't feel like I'm attacking or degrading or tearing any of you down because that's not the case. That's not what I'm doing. I'm simply just wanting you to see that our church has a long way to go before becoming a healthy church again. And you guys have already realized this for yourselves. You've already made a tremendous step in the right direction. You guys saw that your church had been in decline for many years and saw that if things didn't begin to change around here, then this church would die. And you guys, before I ever got here, made a commitment to be revitalized. And now we need to follow through with this commitment that has been made and progressively moved toward becoming a healthy church again. Becoming a biblical church again. And so where do we start? Where do we begin? And so with that... In my very first sermon here, I told you guys that I was thinking about what books should we preach through as a church? What books should I go through as a church? And I didn't say anything again about that until now. And the Lord has led me to preach through a book from the New Testament. A book that teaches a lot on how a church should conduct itself. A book that teaches on how to be a biblical church. A church that displays biblical characteristics. And that book is going to be 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. In the book of 1 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy and gives him instructions for how the church of Ephesus should be conducting itself. We almost get this sense from Paul in his letter to Timothy that the Ephesian church is an unhealthy church, that it needs to be revitalized just like we are. And we will, in a moment, I'll elaborate a little bit more and give you an overview of the book of 1 Timothy, and a little bit more on how the Ephesian church can be considered an unhealthy church. 
But for now, what I want you to do is spend as long as it takes for us to go through the book of 1 Timothy. Week in, week out, passage by passage, just looking at the book of 1 Timothy and saying, what biblical characteristic can we take from this and drive our church forward to becoming a biblically healthy church? So this sermon is going to be unlike any of my other previous sermons. Any of my other sermons that I probably will preach ever in the future. Because this is kind of just an opening sermon into the book of 1 Timothy. And I've actually never preached a sermon like this before. So just bear with me a little bit. But I'm excited about this. But we need to discuss but, but But I know that as we go through this book, it's going to help us to move forward as a church. Therefore, my purpose in preaching the sermon today is for you to see the history of the Ephesian church and its need to be revitalized, and how we as a church must follow God's command. And with that, we're going to first get a little bit of a history lesson. Have you ever had a history lesson in church before? We're going to have a little bit of a history lesson of the Ephesian church, and then secondly, we'll look at a, a brief overview of the book of 1 Timothy, so we have an idea of what's happening there. And thirdly, we will discover our first biblical characteristic of a church, of a healthy church. So, first thing that we see here is where are we going? And we're going to look at the history of Ephesian church, which we just talked about that. I forgot about that slide being there, even though we talked about it. But anyway, the first thing we're going to see is the Ephesian church, a church that needed revitalization. And some of you may be thinking, how in the world did the church and biblical times already need revitalization? But if you look at this, we see that the Ephesian church started off as a church plant. So we actually first see, the first stage that we see of the Ephesian church is the church plant. The church was plant. So the first place that we see mention of the, the, the church of Ephesus is actually in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bible with you, then just kind of follow along through these passages as I talk through the Ephesian church. So in Acts 18, Paul goes on his third missionary journey. And we see Paul eventually come to Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. But at the end of verse of Acts 18, we have the planting of the church of Ephesus. And surprisingly, it was not planted by Paul. It was planted by a man named Apollos. In verse 24 of Acts 18, it says this. So follow along with me here. It says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, I'm gonna, that's where I'm going to stop there, I'll stop at verse 26, but what we see here is we see that Apollos would have been the one that would have planted and started the church in Ephesus. And Priscilla and Aquila would also later play a major role in the planting of this church, as they would explain to more to Apollos about Jesus and the gospel. Apollos would eventually leave Ephesus and travel to Corinth. And in Acts chapter 19, Paul, in his third missionary journey, would come to Ephesus and find some disciples. These disciples were actually probably disciples of Apollos. 
And Paul would help to further establish the church in Ephesus. Paul would teach the disciples of the Holy Spirit, and they would eventually be baptized. Paul would then, as it says in verse 8 of chapter 19, he would enter into the synagogue and preach and reason and persuade these people about the kingdom of God. Paul would stay in Ephesus for two whole years, reasoning daily with the people in Ephesus, until as verse 10 states, that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. The planting and establishment of the Ephesian church was hard work. There were many obstacles at play within this church, within the city of Ephesus. If you uh, think about the, the actual name Ephesus, um, can be also determined as a desirable. Um, so Ephesus desirable would kind of be like the same thing, if that makes sense. And let me tell you, Ephesus, or the Ephesian city, was a very desirable city. It had a lot of trade. had a lot of things happening there. It had the, um, the, guard, the goddess of Artemis, or goddess of Diana, as some of your translations may say. Um, so there was a lot happening in that city. You might think of Nashville as being a very desirable city for a lot of people to move to. That is kind of what the church, of Ephe the church of Ephesus was like. But one particular obstacle that was at play within the city of Ephesus was particularly the goddess Artemis. The goddess Artemis. And as I said, some translations may say Diana. But the city of Ephesus would worship this goddess. They praised her. They glorified her. And Paul would call them out. He calls them out on this in verse 27 that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she, that even be, that she may even be disposed from her magnificence. And when Paul said this, the city went into a major uproar. You see in the next few verses, a major uproar. The planning of the Ephesian church hadn't quite turned into an established church yet. But the church and Paul was doing things correct. They were standing on the truth of God's Word. They were standing on the rock. They were building this church knowing that there is only one God. And He alone deserves all the praise, all the honor, all the glory, all the worship. And as well, we, as Neely's Bend Baptist Church, must be a church that stands only on God's Word that holds the Bible as true. A church that believes in one God, the God of the Bible, Yahweh. And as a church, we must, ex we must exist to praise Him, to glorify Him, to honor Him, to worship Him, to give Him all the glory because He is the one worthy of all the glory. We eventually will see the Ephesian church become an established church. After the uproar, Paul would exhort the disciples and would then leave and move farther along in his missionary journey. However, Paul would have to travel back past Ephesus. He didn't come to Ephesus, but he traveled near Ephesus because he didn't want to come to Ephesus because he needed to get to Jerusalem quickly. He was trying to get there, I think, to get there for the Passover. But in Acts 20, 17-38, we see an exhortation to the leaders of the Ephesian church. It says in verse 17, From Miletus, which is an island that's near Ephesus, 
he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And from verse 18 to verse 38, Paul instructs the elders there at the church. He tells them that he declared the whole counsel of God, that the elders need to be on guard and to shepherd the flock well by caring for the church well. He warns against fierce wolves, and he also commends to them the God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. And church, this is a truth we must remember. We must always remember that it is God and his grace that builds us up. It is through God and by His grace that this church will be built up. At this point, because the church had established elders and leaders in the church, and Paul was giving them instructions on how to lead well, I would say that the church would have become an established church. And that leads us to our second stage of the church, of Ephesus. It became an established and healthy church. So after Paul gives them instructions, he would depart entirely from the area around Ephesus, and he would never go back as far as we can tell from the Bible. However, Paul would later write a book to the church of Ephesus. We know this book as Ephesians, right? It is thought that the book of Ephesians was written around A.D. 60. And just based off the content within the book of Ephesians, Paul never has any complaints about the Ephesian church. There was not a particular occasion that would have prompted Paul to write to the Ephesian church. We see occasions in many other books, for example. In Galatians, the occasion that they were deserting the gospel. They were deserting Christ and turning to a different gospel. In the books of Corinth, there were many occasions that prompted a writing from Paul. But in Ephesians, we don't see an occasion. Other than just that Paul wanted to write and encourage the Ephesian church. And I believe that would be because the church at Ephesus had become a healthy, established church. And Paul wanted to encourage them by writing to them an exposition of his thought. And the book of Ephesians can be broke up almost into two different parts. The first part of the book is very theological. It is very much, this is what you should believe. And then the second part of the book of Ephesians is very much, this is, what, this is how you live out what you believe. But essentially, we see an established, healthy church. However, this church would not forever stay a healthy church. And that leads us to our last stage of this church, revitalization. They had become a church that needed to be revitalized. We later see in Paul's writing in 1 Timothy, that is written, we, we later see Paul write a book to, first, to, to Timothy. And we get that book, 1 Timothy. And Paul would write to him, giving him instructions about how the church should conduct itself. And if you, as we go through here, we will see that Timothy was told to stay in Ephesus. Instructions on how to be a healthy church would be what Paul would write to Timothy. And so we will see more in 1 Timothy in a moment. But, when you got, but I want to give you guys a brief overview. But I want you to see the life of the Ephesian church. A church that was planted. A church that became established. Of in a church that declined in health and needed to be reestablished, which is why we get the book of 1 Timothy. But we later see in the life of the Ephesian church a much bigger need for revitalization. So if you turn with me to Revelation 2, chapter, one through, um, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, 
we have the very first letter to the seven churches. And this first letter, guess who it's to? It's to the Ephesian church. So Jesus is speaking to the church in Ephesus. And essentially, this is a judgment on the church of Ephesus. And what he is saying is, he's looking at this church of Ephesus and basically saying, I see you and I know what you have done and what you have become. So read with me in verse 1 through 7 of chapter 2. And it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patience endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, uh, excuse me, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Jesus is speaking to the church of Ephesus. And he first commends them. He commends them for their works. He commends them for their labor, their endurance, and examining of false apostles, rejecting the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Many of this, which is closely semi-related to the book of 1 Timothy and what Paul writes there. But then Jesus accuses them for one thing. He accuses them for abandoning their first love. There is much debate about what this first love is, but I believe this first love is Jesus and His gospel. The church at Ephesus had abandoned Jesus and His gospel. Church, we must not be a church that abandons our first love. When we abandon our first love, we will eventually become a church that ceases to exist. Therefore, we must always be seeing our need for the gospel and Jesus every day of our lives. We must be a church that craves Jesus, that wants more of Jesus, that longs for His Word, because this is the way forward for us. As I preached for the last seven weeks, the need for us to fall in love so much more with Jesus is so we can see who Jesus is and in return will grow in our love for Him. In his gospel. As a church, we must always be growing in our love for Jesus. Jesus would then admonish the Ephesian church. He tells them in verse 5 to remember from where you have fallen, to repent, and then return to their prior good works. These three words here remember, repent, return almost represent a strategy or a paradigm for us here at Nilly's Bend. This is what we need to do to move forward as a church. We must remember the things that caused this church to thrive in health. And remember the things that caused this church to decline in health. And then we must repent. We must repent of our individual sins before God. Repent of sins committed to 
each other in this church. Repent of sins committed against former people of this church, former members of this church. We must repent of unhealthy things that are causing this church to decline. And lastly, we must return to the good works that were done prior that caused this church to become an established, healthy church. We must return to being a church that has biblical characteristics. Return to doing the good works of the Lord. Return to following God's word and His word alone. Or else, as Jesus warns the Ephesian church, He will remove the lampstand of this church, and this church will cease to exist. Let us not be a church that doesn't remember, that doesn't repent, that doesn't return to the good works of the Lord. Because I don't want this church to die. And I believe that every one of you here also don't want this church to die. We want this church, Neely's Ben's Baptist Church, your church, to thrive and to live until the Lord returns. And I want you to know it's going to be hard work. It's going to be tough work. But it's going to be a glorious work. Because this is godly work. Work that glorifies Him. And this is why we will be spending the next several months in the book of 1 Timothy. Because 1 Timothy is a book that teaches us biblical characteristics of a healthy church. So let's move over to a quick overview of 1 Timothy. This is taking a little longer than I expected. So we're going to move over to a quick overview of 1 Timothy. And so it is thought that, I think I have a slide. There we go. So it is the author of 1 Timothy is Paul, and he's writing to Timothy. And the date written for this book would have been around AD 60 to AD 66. And I think the preferred date is probably later rather than earlier. And the occasion for Paul writing this book is church health. Paul is sensing that there's a lot of things that are not good, not, have, not happening well in the church of, of Ephesus. And so he's writing for church health. And the theme verse that we have from 1 Timothy is 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 15. And I brought it up here for us. And it says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. This is why Paul wrote 1 Timothy. So the church would know how to behave and conduct itself and be a church that is of the living God and is a pillar of the truth. And this is what our church should also be. Yet another reason for us to go through the book of 1 Timothy. To give you an overview of the book, just kind of quick overview, in chapter 1, Paul writes against false teachings and for sound doctrine. In chapter 2, Paul focuses on prayer for the church and instructions for men and women in the church. In chapter 3, the focus is on leaders in the church, such as deacons and overseers. In chapter 4, we see godliness for the church is encouraged. In chapter 5, we learn how to care for widows, care for elders, overseers of the church. And lastly, in chapter 6, we learn more about false teachers and how one should deal with wealth. And this is just a brief overview, very brief overview. But now we're going to begin our journey through 1 Timothy and see the first characteristic of a healthy church. And that is a church commanded by God. That we be a church 
that must be commanded by God. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. First Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Paul writes, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. My focus is going to be on verse 1 here. But Paul says that he is an apostle of Christ Jesus. And that he is an apostle because it is by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. The first characteristic that we see here is that a church must be commanded by God. And while Paul isn't giving a direct instruction to the church yet, and he is only explaining how he as an apostle was commanded by God, there is certainly an implication here for all believers and for us as a church. And when I use this word commanded, I don't mean like making commands like we would do for our kids. Don't touch that. Don't do that. Don't do this. I mean like a commanding officer in the military who is commanding over a unit. All believers should be commanded by God. And all believers should be members of a church, members of a local church. And if the members of the local church are to be commanded by God, then certainly the local church should be commanded by God. God must be the one who is leading us, guiding us, instructing us, moving us forward. God must be the one we look to for a church or as a church for inspiration, for vision, for purpose, for decisions regarding the church, for wisdom, for anything that has to do with this church. God is the one we look to for everything that happens in this church. He is the one that must be commanding this church. Think of the church as a ship. And then the ship also has a captain that just commands over the ship, correct? He's commanding over it. The ship goes where the captain directs and does what the captain commands. The people of the ship do what the captain says and follows the captain. God must be the captain of our church. God must be the one who drives this church. God must be the one who commands this church. And we as members of Neely's Bend Baptist Church must follow the commanding of the Lord. But why are we to follow the command of the Lord? Why must we follow the commanding of the God? Paul gives us the answer. Because God is our Savior and Christ Jesus is our hope. Church, the reason that we let God command this church is because He alone is the Savior. Because Christ alone is our hope. Church, I, as the pastor of this church, am not the Savior of this church. I can't save it. I can't bring it back to life. But God, our Savior, can. Because He's the one that gives life. God may have moved me here to be the pastor of this church, the shepherd and lead this church, under the guidance of the great shepherd, Jesus, God. But I am not the commanding officer of this church. God is. And we must remember that. So don't look at me as the Savior of this church. Because if I'm the Savior of this church, then this church will surely die. But if God is our Savior, and Christ is our hope, 
then this church will thrive because He is the one who is our Savior and Christ is our hope. However, this is no cop-out for us working toward becoming a healthy church. This is no excuse for you as a member not wanting to do anything or working at all to help this church become healthier. The health of this church is 100%, 100% dependent on God leading us and 100% dependent on us actively following in obedience and obeying the Lord and following the Lord. And it's going to require a lot of work of us, a lot of obedience on every one of us here. It's going to require change. It's going to require giving up of preferences. It's going to require being uncomfortable. Nobody likes to be uncomfortable, right? We all love to sit in our comfort. But guess what happens when you get out of your comfort zone? You grow. You grow. So let's be a church that moves forward under the command of our God, who is our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. The first biblical characteristic of a healthy church is that we must be commanded by God. So in our sermon today, we have vastly seen, in this vastly different sermon than any sermon I've ever preached before, we've seen the history of the Ephesian church, how it was planted, how it became an established church, and how it became an unhealthy church that needed to be revitalized. And then we saw a brief overview of 1 Timothy, and then we saw the first biblical characteristic of a healthy church, and that is a church commanded by God. And guys, I hope that you are excited about this. Because I am. I'm excited about this. I hope you're excited about the future of this church. I hope that you see why it is far more important for us to be a church that is biblically healthy than a church that is unhealthy. I hope that you see the need for us growing as a church by being a biblically healthy church. As I said, there's two ways for this church to grow. One is the biblical way, by being a biblically healthy church. And the other is the cultural, worldly way, by being a performance-driven, consumeristic church where we try and entertain people. Let's grow as a church by becoming a biblically healthy church that wishes to worship the Lord and glorify Him alone. Because that is what church is about. It's about worshiping God. It's not about what's in it for me. It's about how can I worship God today. It's about us glorifying Him and Him alone. And I want to make this statement here. If you are a visitor here with us today, and you're hearing this sermon, and you're wondering, oh my gosh, what have I got myself into? I want you to know that it's okay. It's okay. Because this church truly loves the Lord. And they truly want to move forward. And I know that from each and every one of you. Because I've had conversations with so many of you. So don't let that drive you away from this church. Let it drive you to this church. Because we want to be a church that is biblically healthy. Biblically faithful. A church that is commanded by the Lord. And if you are here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, if you don't have God as your Savior, if you don't have Christ as your hope, just as this church needs God as our Savior and Christ as our hope, you need God as your Savior and Christ as your hope. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Him alone. Believe in the works of the cross. That He died 
a sacrificial death for you. And He rose again on the third day so that we can have salvation. So that we can be forgiven. And then we repent of our sins and trust in Him as Lord and Savior. And you shall be saved. That's what the Bible teaches us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for the church of Ephesus. We thank You for Your instruction in God's Word here that teaches us how to become a healthy church, that teaches us biblical characteristics of a healthy church. And Lord, we just pray that we become and we are a church that is commanded by You, that You are the captain of our ship, that You are the one we look to, that You are the one we follow, that You are the one that we are actively being obedient to, that we look to You for all instructions, for all purpose, for all vision, in this church, Lord. Lord, I pray that as we go through the book of 1 Timothy, that it will just be a well that never runs dry, biblical characteristics of a healthy church, Lord. And Lord, we praise you this morning for sending God to be our Savior and Christ to be our hope. Lord, let us chase after you. Let us love you more. Let us repent. Remember where we were. Remember what we can do for you, Lord. And go back to doing the good works that you called us to do as a church, Lord. Lord, we love you and we praise you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.